Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. We will be reading verses 1 through 16. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the men. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So Pilate heard these words. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic. Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. Behold your king, he said to the Jews. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is God's word. Those who have ears to hear are blessed to hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. You may be seated this morning. It is with uh, great horror that we examine the verses that lie before us this morning. As I sat and studied, I imagined what it must have been like for the Apostle John to pen these words with the vivid visions of our Lord's sufferings flashing in and out of his mind as he described the, the drama that unfolded in these verses. And as I was studying, I thought, oh, the tears that must have fallen onto that parchment paper as John penned these words. We may find ourselves, as it were, looking through our fingers as we examine the wounds that our Lord endured on our behalf this morning. 
And yet at the very same time, the abuse, the mockery, the condemnation that we see our Lord in doing within this chapter is the, the very thing that will bring us our greatest joy. For through the sufferings of Christ, He has made way for us to have peace with God. So while we no doubt look at these verses with heavy hearts, we must also bear in mind the love that the Savior has for His own. That He would willfully lay down His life. I can also imagine that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wiping away His tears knowing that the visions of the afflictions of Christ could never overshadow the majesty of His resurrection and His ascension. We too must keep this in mind as we examine these verses this morning. Although we will read these verses this morning and we will see our Lord as being victimized, and in a sense, He is being victimized by sinful humanity, but ultimately... Our Lord was no victim. Neither the Romans, nor the Jews, nor the sinners, you and I, for which he died, had the power to take the sinless life of our great high priest king. Jesus said in John 10.18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Ultimately, Our Lord did not die primarily because of human intentions, human schemes, or human actions. But our Lord died, first and foremost, because Isaiah 53 tells us that it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. It was the will of the Lord. God's sovereign control over these events that we read do not relieve the sinful characters involved from the responsibility of their actions. They freely chose to put Jesus Christ to death out of the depths of their own wicked hearts. And yet, their actions were fully within the eternal plan of God. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So as we proceed with this chapter, let us see the sovereign hand of God working within even the simple actions of men. Let us feel the weight of of that punishment which Christ endured for us, the punishment that would bring us peace, let us glorify our merciful God who stood condemned in our place. Number one, behold the man. Verse one, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out and said to them, See, I I bring him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Here we find our Lord rejected, refused, despised. The people have cried out for the release of Barabbas. He led a rebellion. He was a murderer. He was a thief. And yet the people rallied for his freedom. They cried for the destruction of our Lord. Pilate, unable to silence the crowds and their thirst for blood, gives them just a taste of what they desire. 
Verse 1 says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, we may see that verse and quickly jump to the next verse, but let us not allow our minds to dismiss the historical horror found within that short statement. Flogging, scourging, was a hideously uh, cruel form form of punishment. The victim was stripped bare bound to a post and beaten by torturers who would take turns scourging their victims. The punishment would continue until the torturers were exhausted or until their commanding officer halted their violence or until, which often was the case, those who were being tortured died under their suffering. The weapon of their torture was a whip, a short wooden handle connected to several long thongs and attached to those thongs were jagged pieces of animal bone, metal embedded within the thongs and the torturers began to whip the bodies of their victims flesh would be torn from their bodies to the degree that muscles, bones, even veins and internal organs were exposed so horrific was this punishment that Roman citizens were exempt from it as we see with Paul in Acts 22. So these brutes, they beat our Lord, taking turns, and they beat Him mercilessly. They were soldiers, they were warriors, they need nothing of mercy. They beat our Lord with death on their minds. They knew nothing of sparing lives. Here is our Lord, with His flesh ripped to shreds, blood running down His wounded body. He is unbound from the post. They have called a halt to the beatings. Verse 2. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and placed it on his head and arrayed him in a purple purple robe. The soldiers were not content with savagely beating our Lord. They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head in order to mock and ridicule him even more. These were not thorns or or foxtails that I would step on as I ran barefoot through the Fairfax streets. These were thorns one to two inches long. And as they placed them, they were spikes, as they placed them on the head of Jesus, they made sure that it was fastened such that it would not move. And as they placed it on his head, his veins and his head began to burst open and blood would run down his face, meeting the blood that is on his already broken and beaten body. And as blood began to rush down his face, these brutes take a purple robe, probably a robe belonging to one of the soldiers, and they place it on Jesus, imitating the royal robes that were worn of that day. Matthew records that not only did they do that, but they took a reed and made our Lord carry that reed as if it was a scepter carried like, like one carried by kings of that day. You can imagine the scene. And after completing their caricature, caricature of a king, they continued their sadistic game by kneeling down before our beaten, bloody, bruised Lord and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They approached him. And that approach means they, they would come up to him over and over again. And they would punch him and slap him in the face with their hands, as if all of the beatings that he had was not enough to ridicule him more, to walk up to this pitiful man and punch him and slap him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. 
Matthew tells us that they were not done with that. That they spat on his face. They took the reed from his hand. And they began to beat him over the head with it. And he sat there. And he took it. And maybe we have watched the passion of the Christ too much that we have become desensitized to what we are hearing. But I promise you this. The passion of the Christ only gave you just a fraction of what it was really like. So Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you know, that you may know I find no guilt in him. Pilate approved of this cruelty. And he goes back to the crowds. He has seen Jesus. He has seen his wounds. He has seen the result of the punishment that he has allowed. Pilate knows that people have accused Jesus of being a king. So here, we have mocked him as a crazy man, a crazy king. Here's the kind of king that we believe he is. He's crazy. He warns the crowd, I am bringing Jesus out to you and still I find no guilt in him. This is enough. Let us be done with this. Jesus is summoned to stand before the crowds. Verse 5. So Pilate came out, so Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Our Lord comes out before the people. And what do they see? They see a man who is hobbling to stand before them, shaken from all of the beatings that he has endured, dripping of blood, stench of sweat, and spit over his body. And he stands before the crowd. And what do they see? They see nothing but hatred for him. They see nothing but, that is not enough. The mockery and the punishment that he has gone through is not enough. Behold the man, beaten, bruised, bloody, fatigued, exhausted, standing before the crowds. They looked upon him and they hated him even more. Behold the man, Echi Homo. Behold the man. And this famous statement has two views. It could either be one of contempt. Behold the man you accuse of setting himself up as king. See how weak. See how helpless. See how contemptible he is. Or one of pity. Behold the man. Behold the poor, feeble man who you want me to sentence to death. Are you now satisfied? Have you now had enough? And it is quite possible that Pilate had both views in mind. But in the mind of the Apostle John, behold the man means something altogether different. Behold the man. Yes, indeed, Pilate. Behold the man. Here is the man. All that humanity was created to be. All of humanity in its great potential. All that man has the potential in creation to be. Behold the man of perfection. Behold the man without blemish or spot. Behold the man, the second Adam. He is the apex of humanity. Behold the man who is every way like you and I, yet without sin. Behold the man 
who healed the sick and gave sight to the blind. Behold the man who loved the weak and raised the dead. Behold the man who did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptying himself, taking on the very form of a servant, sent from a heaven to this earth to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. Behold the man. My dear brothers and sisters, there has been no greater sight in the eyes of man since the dawn of creation than the sight of Son of Man, Son of God in human flesh. Behold the man. And the irony is this. He who is all that humanity was created to be is beaten and bruised by all that humanity has become in its sin. And yet we are told that it is for love that God condescended to humanity in the flesh in order to save sinful humanity from their sin. That sin that has plagued us from the dawn of creation. It is for love with, with which Paul declares surpasses all understanding, surpasses all knowledge that the Son of Man endured the hatred of sinful men. My brothers and sisters, there is no earthly love with which this can be compared. There is no other standard by which we can measure love. God has love. Christ has exemplified what love truly is in His sufferings. Let us never forget, as we examine the Scriptures, and especially those that lie before us this morning, that the sufferings of Christ were embraced and endured. For us, sinful rebels, those who would have been in the crowd crying, crucify him, crucify him. And out of those hateful, wicked people, God has called his own. He suffered for our sin, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. Behold the man who was wounded for our transgressions. Behold the man who was bruised for our iniquities. Behold the man by whose stripes we are healed. Yes, indeed, Pilate. Behold the man. Secondly, behold the authority of God. Verse 6. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from, given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has committed the greater sin. What was the response of the people when they saw the sight of the wounded lamb crucify him? Crucify him. And what merciless men they were. Even at the sight, the pitiful sight, of a prisoner who has been punished 
beyond recognition. Their hearts remain hard as ever. Their consciences so callous as if they were branded with a hot iron. They had not one ounce of pity. Not one ounce of compassion. But would be content with nothing less than the blood of Jesus. They cried out, crucify him. And it is a sad note that the chief priest, the chief priest, were the ones who were leading the charge and rising, raising the cry, crucify him. And it is an equally painful fact that in every age, those who have vehemently persecuted the saints of God have been the so-called ministers of religion. Crucify him. Pilate responded, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Pilate responds with the language of one who is apparently vexed or irritated with this entire charade. It's gone too far. If you want him dead, then you do it yourself. I will not do your dirty work for you. I find no guilt in him. Pilate may have been through with the Jews, but the Jews were not through with him. They answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die. They knew that Pilate was still trying to evade the issue, to pass Jesus back over to them, but they would have none of that. They reminded Pilate of a law. Where does that statement come from? In the midst of all of this, we have a law. What law? When Rome conquered nations, they allowed them to continue to live autonomously. When it came to civil matters, meaning this, they could judge someone according to the law that they lived under before they were conquered. And when they found that individual guilty, they would bring them to Rome, and Rome was supposed to execute judgment. That was the law that Rome established over nations that they conquered. So they are reminding Pilate of that law. And they are demanding that Paul acknowledge their legal rights. And execute Jesus. What was the charge under their law? They had claimed blasphemy. Because, verse 7, he has made himself, now listen close, the son of God. Now imagine Pilate and what he's thinking. He has not yet heard this claim. He has only heard the claim that Jesus claims to be a king. This is the first time that he's ever hearing that that. Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. Now, what has Pilate heard so far? He has questioned and examined Jesus and said, Are you a king? What was the response of Jesus? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Which meant what? That Jesus also is not of this world. And now, Pilate knows this man is innocent. But these stiff-necked people will not relent. Luke tells us that Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. You remember Herod. Herod was the one that took the head of John the Baptist. And when Herod investigated Jesus, he also found no guilt and sends him back to Pilate. So if you can imagine Pilate trying to get rid of this man, and every time he turns around, this man is standing at his doorstep. Still, Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged. Maybe this will satisfy their thirst for blood. And while Jesus is being flogged, something interesting happens. Pilate gets a message from his wife who says to him, have nothing to do with this righteous man. I've had, I've suffered many things 
because of him in a dream that I've had have nothing to do with him. And now the chief priests tell you the real reason why they want this man dead. Because he has made himself to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, what does your Bible say? He was even more afraid. You better believe he was afraid. So Pilate pulls Jesus inside of his headquarters. His heart is racing, his mind is racing. And he begins to ask Jesus, where are you from? Where are you from? Can you imagine the scene? And, and, and I'd like to imagine what that scene must have looked like. Jesus is standing there beaten, bruised, bloody, blood rushing from his face to his toes. And Pilate is afraid. And Jesus knows he is afraid. And Pilate comes in and asks him, where are you from? And I imagine, did Jesus even give him eye contact? Did Jesus put his head down and not stare at him at all? When asked the question, did Jesus simply smile? What was the response of Jesus? Oh, how I would have loved to be there just to see his reaction. Are you a God who has come down from earth? Are you from heaven? What is your nature? What is your history? Could Jesus have responded? Sure. Could he have given him all of the information that he wanted? Sure. Could he have displayed his divinity before Pilate? And cause Pilate to bow down and worship him, of course. And yet there is no verbal reply of Jesus. Up until this time he has spoken openly. He has spoken freely and now he refuses to speak. Verse 10. You will not speak to me. He goes from fear to anger. Do you not realize who I am? Do you not realize that I have power? The reason our Lord's silence, the reason for our Lord's silence, listen, it must be found in the state of Pilate's soul. The reason for our Lord's silence must be found in the state of Pilate's soul. He did not want an answer. Therefore, he did not receive an answer. He had received his answer. Jesus had clearly given him the truth and said to him in John 18, 37, everyone who listens to truth hears my voice. Pilate had his opportunity and now that opportunity had been taken away from him. He had been plain coldly, been, been plain, plainly told the true nature of our Lord's kingdom, the purpose of our Lord's coming into this world. And he was obligated to declare his innocence. But instead, he treated our Lord with flagrant injustice, flogging him and allowing him to be abused by his soldiers all the while knowing he was guiltless. He had, as it were, send away his opportunity, forsaken his own mercies, and turned a deaf ear to the cries of his own conscience. Therefore, our Lord would have nothing more to do with him. He would give him no answer. Oh, you know the times that you have shared and tried and cried and ministered to those whom you love. And there is no response. There there often seems to be a more hardening that takes place the more you speak to them about Christ. Well, there will come a day, dear brothers and sisters, where there 
when their ears will no longer be able to hear anything. Verse 10. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? This is who Pilate really was. Yes, he was afraid. And then he became angry. And then he became arrogant. This is who Pilate truly was. This is why Pilate would receive no answer from Jesus. This is why Pilate would receive no more truth from Jesus. For his heart was just as hard as it was the day that he was born. This man was shaped in iniquity. And standing before the very one who created him. He still remained as rebellious as ever. As obstinate as ever. Pilate. Think about his position. He is used to having prisoners cry before him. Begging for their lives. Groveling at their feet. At his feet for mercy. And here is our king. Here is our champion. Not begging. Not groveling. And not crying. Completely in control. And not saying a word showing that he is the one who is in control. Not Pilate. In attempts to inform or remind Jesus of his so-called power, Pilate struts as if he is the sovereign in this conversation. But Jesus has news for Pilate. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who had delivered me over to you has the greater sin. How I would have loved to see Pilate's face. How would I, I would have loved to see Jesus' face as he said these words. I love the way J.C. Ryle interprets this passage for us. You speak of power. You do not know that both you and the Jews are only tools in the hands of a higher being. And that you could have no power over me whatsoever. Or against me if it were not given to you from God above. You do not understand this. And therefore you are less guilty than the Jews. The Jews who delivered me into your hand. They do know the power. That all power is from God. Therefore their knowledge makes them more guilty than you. Oh. Our Lord conceded, yes, Pilate, you have authority. But our Lord insisted on something else. That Pilate's authority was not something that he was able to conjure up on his own. It was given to him from above. Romans 13.1 There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So although Pilate may have had been flaunting his apparent power and authority, he was not the one that was really in control. He may have believed that the fate of Christ rested in his authority, but little did he know that the fate of Christ rested in the hands of the true sovereign God who was ordering all things for his glory. And what an encouraging note that is. That standing in the face of his would-be executor, our Lord stood with confidence, knowing that not one finger would be laid on him lest it had been granted from above. And let us take solace and comfort in knowing that in our trials and in our travails in this temporal life, there is not one event that will reach our doorsteps and not one single person that will have authority over us that has not been sent or placed there by God who reigns and rules over all with complete and absolute authority and who loves you with an everlasting love. When we are tempted to fret, and lose courage. Let us find rest. 
Let us find comfort in the one who works all things together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It may not have seemed at that particular moment as if God was in complete control. Just as in our lives there are times when it may not seem like God is in complete control. But for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And you will often have to carry the heavy, weighty cross in order to experience the joy that God has set before you. And in those times of carrying that heavy cross, which you should do daily, do not lose sight of the fact that God is in control. Let us who are in positions of authority, whether it be in our homes or on our jobs, let us use that authority to glorify God and never let us strut as if we have conjured up that authority on our own. Let us pray for those who rule in positions of authority. Let us pray for this church and its leaders. That we may lead this church in a way that glorifies God. And that the men of your households may lead your households in a way that glorifies God. And that your bosses and that our government and that our presidents and the kings and rulers of this world would bow their knee before the only sovereign Lord of the universe. Third and finally, behold your king. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king... They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. It is an interesting fact that as I read through these verses, over the past six to eight months as we've been going expositionally through these verses, you may have heard us say, the Lord is... A year from crucifixion. The Lord is now six months from crucifixion. About two months ago we were saying the Lord is now five days from crucifixion. We say now, He is but moments away from the cross. Pilate sought to release Jesus to no avail. The religious leaders, knowing that Pilate sought to to discharge Jesus also sought to deter Pilate. If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. This man makes himself to be a king, a threat to Rome. And if you let him go, then you are in legion with him, which means you are also opposing Rome. So Pilate sat down. In other words, Pilate dismissed himself of this situation. The other Gospels tells us, tell us that Pilate be, began to wash his hands as if to, do, as if to uh, exit himself from the entire situation. And to refuse any part of this murder. Pilate brought Jesus out now before the people. Behold your king. It was just a way to dig that knife a little deeper into their hearts. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. And that was the last straw. 
Pilate delivered him over to be crucified. Behold your king. Behold your Messiah. And what was, was the response of the religious leaders? It was emphatic. Take him away. Take him away. They foolishly rejected Christ. Their long-awaited Messiah. And they declared their allegiance to Caesar. They rejected their heavenly king, come down from heaven to earth. And they embraced an earthly king who ruled over them with an iron fist. These are the children of Israel. Think about that. They are the offspring of Abraham. Think about that. Those who claimed the promises of God as their own. Those from whom came the prophets, the covenants, the law. And those from whom came the Messiah. And yet, in spite of all of these external advantages of being a Jew, never in the history of humanity has there been such an exhibition of the depth of human wickedness from the fallen sons of Adam than at this moment when they rejected Christ as their king. How could this be possible? How could those who had all of these benefits be so blind? Paul tells us. Romans 9, 6, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham are his offspring. They had long awaited for the Messiah, and now he stands before him, not crowned with a scepter, but with a reed. Not adorned in majesty, but adorned with a borrowed robe. Not sitting upon a throne, but standing before a judgment seat, being judged by sinful people. And not with shouts of, long live the king, but shouts of, crucify the blasphemer. For three and a half years, he preached the gospel. For three and a half years, he declared the, the inauguration of the kingdom. And for three and a half years, they sought to put him to death. For three and a half years, they reject the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. Let us take careful note of this as well. There was a great danger in constantly and consistently ignoring and rejecting light. There was a great danger in constantly and consistently rejecting truth. Or hearing truth week after week and doing nothing about it. Hearing truth week after week and living your life as if you have never heard not one ounce when I own of truth. Oh, there was a great danger. You are heaping upon yourselves, as it were, judgment after judgment if you hear truth and do nothing about it. Or see your face in the mirror. And do nothing about it. James says, don't just hear. Do. This was judicial blindness. The act of God in hardening the hearts of men. It is the act of God in giving men more freedom to carry out their sinful desires. Are you saying that God purposely closed the minds and hearts of these people? Yes. How could you say that? 
Because God has said that. The disciples asked Jesus a pressing question. Why do you speak in parables? Why don't you speak plainly? So that everyone can understand. So that everyone can grasp what you are saying. The answer of Jesus tells us the consistent teaching of the scriptures concerning the divine prerogative of God. It is this. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew thirteen eleven. if you want to take notes. To you, to you, my sheep, it has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. You have been given the right to know. But to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And to the one who has an abundance, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who has not, even more will be taken away. This is why I speak in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. What is he saying? I have spoken in such a way, so that they may remain blind as they are. And you understand because you have been given sight to see. Our Lord is speaking of the divine prerogative of God. To have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. It was the same divine prerogative that he displayed in choosing Jacob and not I, uh, Jacob and not Esau, in hardening the heart of Pharaoh, in allowing Judas to betray the Son of God. Once again, the divine prerogative of God is on display as the religious leaders and the crowds are struck with judicial blindness, as they cry out for the death of the one. That they've been waiting for. Dear friends, you cannot get more blind than that. And let us pray that we are delivered from that kind of judicial blindness. There is no worse judgment from God than the judgment of being left to ourselves. There is no worse judgment. There is no worse judgment from God. And to be left to ourselves. To be given over to our wicked, sinful hearts. And given over to the devil. There is no sure way to bring judgment upon us though. No sure way to <clears throat> endure or receive judicial blindness. Than to consistently refuse Truth of God as it is preached in your ears week after week. Do not sit under this ministry or any other ministry for that matter and have your souls stirred week after week only to walk away without responding in faith. I warn you by the authority of Scripture that there will come a day when your soul will be seared to the point where you are unable to respond to the stirrings of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit will not always strive with men. And today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as these obstinate people did. Behold your King. Turn to Him. Trust in Him. Repent of your sins. Cast all of your hope upon this King who was able to give you peace with God. The only King who was able to save your souls. Behold the man. Behold the authority of God. 
Behold your King. Let us stand this morning.